Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode four of the Firefighters Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Serra. This week, we'll be discussing what I believe to be the most important issue in the fire service today. That's firefighter cancer. Joining me this week will be the incomparable Diane Cotter. She's a fire wife, a fire mom, and she's been leading the charge to find out what's been causing this uptake in firefighter cancer. What she found? Well, that will sicken you. And it should scare you. Not just firefighters, but this affects all of us. We'll also hear from everybody's favorite firehouse cooking correspondent, my daughter Frankie, as she brings us Diane's famous firehouse lasagna. For this week's roll call, since last week I brought you a story about my mom, this week I'm going to bring you a story straight from my dad. You see, when I was 13 months old, I suffered from some weird illness. Uh, They still don't know what it was. Um, but I had a, a high fever, you know, 103, 104 for days. Um, I had a respiratory infection. One of my lungs had collapsed. Um, and it was actually the first time in my life uh, that I had my last rites read to me. Um, but when my lung had collapsed, my dad told me that him and an orderly were charged with holding me down as they attempted to inflate my lung. Um, and he likened it to trying to hold a... a washing machine uh, when it's shaking uncontrollably. But I fought. Um, and I think that was his, uh, the point of his story is that, you know, I, I always seem to be fighting these things um, with the help of my parents. But I think his main point is that while we may all face these seemingly insurmountable challenges in life, what we can do is be there for each other and help each other, whether it's by holding somebody down or simply holding their hand, or just being somebody to listen to, uh, we can really help each other a lot and give each other the, the desire to fight that we all need. So let's get straight to it. <laughs> my next guest certainly has a desire to fight. Um, and much like my mother that I told you all about last week, uh, she's a badass and she's cut from the same cloth. So I don't want to waste any more time. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Diane Cotter. All right, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Firefighters Podcast. Uh, joining me this week, um, as I've said in the beginning, uh, a big part of the reason why I want to do this show in the first place is so I could share a platform with other people who have uh, have their own fights going on, um, even though this one is kind of my fight, too. But um, so, yeah, I'm looking to pay it forward, you know, for all the people that that gave me and my friends a platform when we were fighting for 9-11 legislation. So this week I have fire wife and fire mom, Diane Cotter. Welcome. Thank you, Rob. 
so along those lines, before we get into your uh, accidental activism, which is uh, what I consider myself an accidental activist, I kind of injected myself in there, much like you. Um, I want to talk about something that I've wondered about, you know, because my mom you didn't live long enough to see me and my brother go to fires and have to live through that worry. And I know you lived through through it with your husband. But was there a big difference when it was your son going to to work as opposed to your husband? Surprisingly, um, yes and no. My husband was on the rescue squad for over 25 years. So he's been on a very, very busy truck his his entire career. And um, our, our son very recently got on to the uh, fire department and he absolutely loves it and he has um he has it's like paul never left because i guess they're very similar (laughs) in their mannerisms and their um um actions and escapades so but yeah but we couldn't be prouder of our son couldn't be prouder of our son for choosing the profession even knowing what we know even knowing what we know what you know the call he and every other firefighter are doing regarding the turnout gear, because of our knowledge, we still wouldn't choose any other profession if we had to choose it for him. It's the best job in the world, without a doubt. Right. You know, we, we hear guys say that all the time uh, about 9-11, you know, knowing that what we know now, we also would have went there anyway. It's just. Rob, it's, you know, to hear, I heard your interview last week with your brother and um, I was just mesmerized because he brought up so many things that were so um, reminiscent to Paul and I. FDNY has always been such a huge friend of the Worcester Fire Department since the December 3rd, 99 Worcester Cold Storage Fire, a warehouse fire. And Paul met such good friends Bobby Knabi and Mickey Conboy. And this is this is difficult to talk about, but they invited us on September 9th, 1999, two days before 9-11, to come on a harbor cruise. Um, I want to say with Big Blue, um, Rescue 2, 3? I don't know. They all call themselves Big Blue. I don't, it, could, it could be any one of them. I don't know. Two or three, four, I don't know. We had the most gorgeous night with, you know, a ton of drunk firefighters and their wives. And we were cruising up and down the Hudson. It was it was just beautiful. We we stopped in front of the Statue of Liberty and we really started singing my country tis of thee, you know. And then your fire truck came and showered us. And Tommy Foley was dressed as a pirate. (laughs) And he kept coming to check on us. And I kept thinking, boy, did his folks raise him good. He was so young. And um, we had had an old uh, retired guy with us. And he kept telling us about, you know, we went. We had this fire here at the Domino Sugar Plant and all of that. And then we went by the Twin the twin Towers and he said, yeah. And then we had the World Trade Center in 93. He said, and they'll be back. Yeah. Imagine that. 
Yeah, I, th- I think we all expected that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, if if you can't tell, uh, Diane's from Worcester, Massachusetts. If you, <laughs> if you haven't picked up on her accent, uh, and the fire she's referring to, I believe six firefighters. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Made the ultimate sacrifice that day, which which is a pretty dark day in the history of the fire service. But uh, so that was Paul's department. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about him going back to work after that? Was it were you uh, a bit on edge, or did you just no, not job. on edge at all. It was part of being a firefighter's wife. You, you know what comes with the job. I can always remember every time that Paul left, he'd kiss me and he'd hug me so tight. And that kiss was in case it was the last kiss, just in case it was the last kiss. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thankfully... He's still around to give you that kiss every day, right? He does. And we do. We thankfully, we still really do enjoy each other. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you can tell me later what's really going on. But, um, all right. So let's get right into it. Um, mm-hmm. So Paul was forced to retire because he had cancer. Um, something yes. we're seeing way too much of in the fire service, not just 9-11 related, just all related in all departments all over the country, big, small, uh, doesn't matter how many fires you've gone to, right? That doesn't right. seem to be the contributing factor. Um, so Paul retired with colon cancer. Is that correct? Prostate, Prostate cancer. cancer. Okay. Prostate cancer. He had no symptoms. He was diagnosed in um, November of 2014 one month after he made lieutenant and he didn't even want to take the lieutenant's exam because he loved the rescue so much. He just wanted to live out his career on the rescue. But, you know, he was 25 years in, 27 years in, and really it was time for him to climb the ladder. And, um, you know, he he got the results of the, of the, um, of the, that he passed and he said, Oh shit. <laughs> but, um, you know, we were so proud for him that he was promoted. We had a beautiful ceremony in Worcester City Hall and um, he was going for a pre-op physical for cataract surgery. He had no symptoms. He didn't have any of the, you know, like, um, um, you know, where you have to have frequently urinate or you can feel something isn't right. He had none of that whatsoever. But his PSA was up slightly. He was having cataract surgery, so he had to get some pre-physical work done. And his PSA was up just a hair. And his um, physician said, I want to check this, Paul. And the only way that we can check it is to get a biopsy. And sure enough, the biopsy came back with aggressive prostate cancer. He's from a big Irish-Armenian family. He's probably got 19 first cousins, male first cousins. Nobody had prostate cancer. He's got two brothers, no prostate cancer. And um, Paul never returned to work after the diagnosis, after the surgery, I should say. Um, The surgery left him. What we can tell you now, because, you know, my husband never spoke about this. We kind of, you know, he's a he's such a a, a, a big buff guy. You know, he's a, 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 
a bear of a man. It left him incontinent. And David Furry did speak about that in our, in our Men's Health magazine article. And I'm very proud of Paul for discussing that because it's very difficult to discuss. You know, all of you firefighters, men and women, you have a persona. And, um, you know, for Paul to come out and say that it left him incontinent, I think is a, is, is a very brave, brave thing. We didn't even discuss that with our children. So it must be difficult for them to look at their, you know, hero firefighter and understand this now. At any event, um, you can't return to the job when you're incontinent. Uh, you just can't, can't do that job right. with stress incontinence. So he did not return. He fell into a very deep depression. He was not ready to retire. And that depression compelled me to find out what was going on. I started to look at the gear itself because Boston had come out with this magnificent video about firefighter cancer. And we knew all about firefighter cancer. Everybody knew about firefighter cancer. You just don't expect the really healthy guys to get it. You know, Paul was the bodybuilder and, you know, he'd get on the loudspeaker and he'd say, everybody in the weight room now, we're going to lift like men. You know, I mean, he was that, <laughs> that guy in the firehouse and you know, he'd like to challenge everybody to climb up the three-story fire pole they had on Franklin. They have on Franklin Street. It's a unique firehouse and that it has a three-story pole oh, wow. like to tease everybody that he could, he's one or two guys that can climb it. <clears throat> but um, but when he was in his reclining chair, falling into a deep depression, growing a beard, and you know I didn't recognize him. Um, I was spending a hell of a lot of time on the computer researching firefighter cancer, and I came across something called a 1999 safety alert from the IAFF, and it was regarding the breathe text moisture barrier that the IAFF under Al Whitehead wanted to recall because they had been receiving information that the, the moisture barrier was breaking down. And I remember reading it and saying, oh, my God, you mean the manufacturers are contesting this recall? And they were. They were all contesting it and the IAFF threatened legal action about it. So that was the first time I went like, what in the hell? I thought the, I, I thought the, the manufacturers loved us. What's this? <laughs> so then I started looking further and further at the um, information about the, the components of the gear itself, such as the Kevlar and the Nomex. And I came across this horrific incident where a New Jersey firefighter, his gear had degraded and he had succumbed to his um, steam burns. Yeah, and I remember that. that. You remember that? Yeah. yeah. I wish I could remember his name. I know I have it in my articles. At any event, um, that's what compelled me to start emailing and writing and one of the people that I wrote to was Erin Brockovich. And I was telling her about this steam burn and this Nomex and Kevlar. She called 
in early March of 2017, she called and said, Diane, it's Erin Brockovich, and I've gotten your emails. <laughs> she said, <laughs> she said, I'm laughing because I guess I guess it's well known. I send a lot of emails. <laughs> and um, she said, I, I got a call from a New Hampshire fire chief who has 13 firefighters with cancer. And I didn't skip a beat. I said, that does not surprise me because every firehouse is a cancer cluster. And she said, does the gear have PFOA or PFOS? I'd never heard the words before. I hung up with her, took me less than five minutes to see that Europe was already transitioning to what they called non-PFOA PPE. Now, just so you don't think that they 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 have turnout gear without PFOA, they do not. They wear what you wear. And the stakeholders, which is the manufacturers, have been kicking that can down the road um, in Europe. Um, at first, it was supposed to be out of their gear in 2020, and now it's like 2026. <laughs> We're doing more here in the USA with our team of allies than Europe is doing right now. So at that point in time, I began to email the um, manufacturers, does Agia have this? And I'd get nice emails back. Everything complies with EPA standards. And I'd say, well, can you tell me what's in the gear? That's proprietary information. And we couldn't get answers. And what happened was I then started to reach out to the IAFF and I couldn't get answers. And I reached out to the NFPA and they told me they were a neutral organization and they couldn't get, you know, they if I wanted to change something, I could I could write a TIA, which I did <laughs> in 20. In tw of course I did <laughs> in 2018, but they didn't accept it. They rejected it. But I had so many sign-ons by, you know, Philippe Gringine and Robert Ballot and Dr. Peasley, et cetera. So just to and back up so people are aware, the EPA um, has proven uh, by their own admission to have lied to the public. Um, yes. Especially in regards to firefighters, right? Yes. Their, their um, big lie was that the air at ground zero was safe to breathe, um, that, you know, there, you had to wear a mask, but there would be no, you know, side effects. However, there are other ways for all that stuff to get into your body, right? As we're seeing with the gear. As, um, absolutely. So I just wanted to get that in there, that the EPA is not a trusted source when it comes to the safety of firefighters. Anyway. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, I On my Medium account, I wrote an article called EPA in the Pinky Swear. And <laughs> what's stunning about that is that the, the DuPont's vice president, Susan Stelnecker, was um, a commandeering the EPA to downplay the hazards of PFOA. Mm. And we can talk about that in something called the liability bill. You'll want to ask me about that because I think your listeners will be aghast at what we'll tell them with that. So I then decided, well, I can't get answers from anyone. I'm going to find out myself. I, I 
Rob, I, I barely graduated high school because I used to get out of I used to get out of high school at 11 o'clock and go and um, work at the Liggett's drugstore where I was a waitress or a, or a fountain soda fountain girl, you know, and so I didn't go to college, um, but I had some tenacity in me. And I purchased a set of new turnout gear and I then needed to find someone to test it. And somehow I had anybody that was with a doctor and that was related to the fire service that was a trusted source. I would email them and my community of scientists would grow. And I said, can someone help me find someone that will test the gear? And I think if I'm not from, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Dr. Jeff Burgess, University of Arizona, who said, Diane, I think you can try Dr. Graham Peasley, his nuclear physicist. What am I doing talking to a nuclear physicist? So I email him. He couldn't have been kinder. He couldn't have been more of a teacher. He told me how to send him the samples. I sent him the samples uh, from the turnout gear. And he's at Notre Dame, correct? Notre Dame. Notre absolutely. Dame. Yep. Right. Fighting Irish. All right. And, and back comes his email, which I don't understand anything that he's writing. writing. I only understand that it it sounds very concerning to him. And that was very concerning to me. And he said, you may want to do a bigger study. Me, (laughs) I have no money. I have no resources. How am I going to do a bigger study? Well, by this time, John Marr, the editor of Station Pride, had published something he named The Real Cancer in Your Gear. And, you know, I spent a lot of time on social media boxing with the media community because they just wouldn't talk about this. And John said to shut me up, he he kind of just went along with me that he was going to publish it. And then he said, but I got to fact check everything, Diane, about your article. And if, if it's true, then this is going to rock the, the fire service. He did he fact checked everything. And then he published The Real Cancer in Your Gear in March of 2017 or 2018. I've forgotten now. And we watched it shared thousands of times. Not one comment, not one person would write a comment, but they were tagging each other in five departments. And that's when the big, huge denials began. But that's also when people began reaching out to me. A firefighter, Jeff Kanabi from Northern California, who's a PPE specialist, Mitch Huner from Chicago Fire Department, Salem, Massachusetts, Ryan Riley. These are health and safety officers. And they said, we'll do whatever we can to help you. And so then I thought, hmm, we can do a bigger study because we have we have Graham who will do it with us. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't charging us anything to work, but we did have to get funding because these these um, very comprehensive lab studies analysis, they're very expensive. 
So Paul and I reached out to my very good friend and mentor, Kathy Crosby-Bell of Last Call Foundation honoring firefighter Michael Kennedy in Boston. And we then traveled to Florian Hall and met Kathy and she was on board right away and, you know, um, compelled her board of directors to fund the study for us. In preparation for what we saw was coming with the study, which we were now learning from Graham through various phone calls that, yes, he found PFOA in everything. And PFOA is the known carcinogen that causes testicular cancer and causes kidney cancer. And Rob Ballot explains it much better than I ever will, if you've ever heard Rob speak about this. So it's the people not, know Robert Blatt is the movie Dark Waters is based on him, right? Mark Ruffalo yes. plays him. So if you don't yes. know who Robert Blatt is, check him out. Righteous yes. dude. Sorry. Righteous dude. <laughs> Righteous dude. And in any it, one more thing, if you if you're going to check out Dark Waters, check out Rob's book Exposure and you go to page 174 of Exposure. And in that, he he writes that uh, DuPont did a study that said that PFOA will go through um all PPE material or all glove material. So that was back in, I think, 1980 that they knew that. Um, but at any event, so, so we began preparing the fire service for what we knew was coming because we had a heads up from Graham. He was trying to educate us um, in our little committee and we We'd ask Graham to talk to everybody. I mean, poor Graham, he's 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 gotten, you know, spread so thin in the fire service, but people needed to hear it from him and not some fireman's wife. And he's been so good. Our friends, our friends at fire engineering, I have to say, I spoke um, online. I was I was really giving Bobby Halton a hard time about not picking up this mantle. And one day he wrote to me, Diane Carter, I am not hard to find. Here's my cell phone. <laughs> so I picked up the cell phone and I called him. And if you've ever had the pleasure to talk with Bobby Halton, we you could talk for hours to that man. He's brilliant. Bobby then gave us a platform on fire engineering with PJ Norwood and Frank Ricci, who have been phenomenal at interviewing our allies and adversaries in this issue. And um, which is important, I think, is is to get the opinion of the other side. Uh, oh, you have to. I, I always found they gave they gave me more ammunition and they kind yeah. of dug their own hole. Right. True. <laughs> this is true. But um, but you can't you can't have a con you can't have a conversation with just one side. You have right. to have it with with both sides. You, in all fairness, you have to. Right. Because you can't think that you know it all. You know, you you just can't. But um, I study. I then began reaching out to the IAFF. I swear it's going to get twisted. Uh, that's all right. I have my own issues with them also. So 
So at that time, it, the IAFF was under the um, presidency of Harold Schaefberger. And what began in 2017 with conversations with Pat Morrison, who was the assistant to the general president for health and safety on this issue, were confusing. Um, Pat went right directly to DuPont and others after the real cancer in your gear came out to ask them if your gear was okay. He then printed his their response um, as his response, but it was a statement that told you nothing to worry about, nothing to see here, nothing, everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then we had a conversation with him in which we said, Pat, this is bullshit. You know, this is, you, you called to want to ask them. That's crazy. <laughs> right. And um, he said, well, I'm going to reword it and I'm going to, I'm going to fix the statement. That never happened. My, um, my longtime ally, Jason Burns from Fall River, he reached out to me in 2017 after I started my social media campaign. And Jason had just buried two 30-something firefighters as the president of Fall River, a very poor town in Massachusetts, local 1314. He had less than a year on the on the presidency and he buried two young 30 somethings with rare brain cancer. He said, give me everything you have, Diane. I'm going to Washington, D.C. and I'm going to find out what's what. So he took all my material. He went to Washington, D.C. and he said we caught him with their pants down. He said either they didn't know or they knew and they're hiding that they knew my perception is that if they didn't know, they they went on a mass campaign of a shell game with the fire service because nine days after the real cancer in your gear was published, Lion Gear sent a series of emails to the vendors that we're going to need ammunition. <laughs> We're going to need ammo. And they quickly devised something that you stupid firefighters hopefully would believe. And that was that the studies by Patagonia Rainwear show nothing to worry about. Now, that was such an ambush of the fire service, I can't tell you. Because they mistook how smart firefighters really are. Yeah. How brilliant they are, how inquisitive they are. And how relentless they are. And how relentless they are. Exactly. And in that, they wanted to make sure that their teams were aligned to go along with this promulgation of a dialogue that they were going to dictate. There was no science that was nine days after the real cancer in your gear came out in 17 or 18, but they were already formulating a plan. We then began seeing their promulgation right directly out of the words of Pat Morrison of the IAFF. 
In 2019, Graham gave his preliminary results at FDIC. Um, he was invited by Bobby Halton himself, which I, I can't say enough about Bobby because think of a position that Bobby's in where he's the editor in chief of, you know, fire engineering and uh, firefighter nation and FDIC. And he has to work with the manufacturers, mm. but he also has a moral um capacity with the entire fire service. So, so Bobby and Graham began communicating and educating each other on each other's, you know, um, specialties, the PFAS and the fire service. And Bobby invited Graham to speak at FDIC. And I was there that first year that he spoke and he gave a great dissertation. And in the audience was Lion Gear in the team. Lion then asked Graham if they could come to his lab. So Graham's lab is like this um, wizardry lab at Notre Dame. He hand built this machine. I don't know what you call Machine doesn't give it just, <laughs> I'll tell you, it takes up three rooms. It's coils, it's glass, it's, it's metal. It's, you know, um, things that go boom, boom, bang, bang. You know, it's just crazy what Graham built by his own hands, but it measures PFAS and, um, the Lion team flew in in April of 2019. Graham hosted them. Graham told them he found PFOA in everything on a 20-year span of 30 sets of turnout gear, both new and decommissioned. That was our study. And um, Graham said, except a 2017 moisture barrier, which has staggering amounts of the replacement chemicals. He said, but I also want you to know that there is a precursor that is forming the chemical PFOA in hours to days by oxidation. Um, so technically, if the manufacturers can say we don't make it with it, they're just leaving out that pot that it's forming PFOA. <laughs> okay, so now... <laughs> Now, this is where it's going to get twisted. If it wasn't already. If it wasn't already. <laughs> then Lion Gear um, distributes all you need to know about PFOA. Someone sends me this, this distribution, and it's in a PDF file. And in it, I see the IAFF has read our study because Lion Gear did their own study and supports our study that there is little to no concern here. Well, I saw that and I think I orbited the planet, <laughs> you know, a, a dozen times. Wow. My colleague in Northern California, Jeff Kanabi, demanded to see that report. Lion Gear's Andy Schwartz and his legal team flew from Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, to Northern California to show a PPE specialist the report, this study that they conducted. It was conducted by Exponent. So you're probably familiar with Deflategate, I want to imagine. Uh, a little this bit, is, yeah. 
this is the group that did deflate gate that right. study so it's it's a consulting group it's not a peer reviewed study um when we found that out we were aghast because we're thinking well the IAFF is only going to you know uh, accommodate a peer reviewed a, a peer review oh, I'm sorry That's a peer reviewed study and um that did not happen so what what happened was they took this lion gear exponent study and made it into something that they put their name on while in California a third party came called in it was Dr Paul Krastowski and he said you don't have to worry Jeff Kanabi because those chemicals are too big to pass through your skin they're like volleyballs and tennis balls remember that they're like volleyballs and tennis balls fast forward now to January of 2020 and the IAFF is doing a Facebook live event with Raquel Segal who was the health and safety occupational specialist Pat Morrison your health and safety um wizard and in that they're talking about PFAS I'm watching it my friend in California Jeff is watching it and doesn't Raquel Segal say you don't have to worry about the PFAS in the gear because it's like volleyballs and tennis balls it's too big to go through your skin my phone rings it's Jeff Kanabi he <laughs> says are you watching this i said oh my god they are they really are they've sold us out that's when ed kelly entered the picture and um ed, ed kelly has done more in 6 months than harold shaperger did on this issue in 6 years and of course we had our team from nantucket captain mitchell i'm sorry chief mitchell now and um jason burns who were fighting their own battles and who constructed the resolution to remove DuPont and 3M from your from your IAFF cancer summits. So so people know Ed Kelly is the newly elected president of the International Association of Firefighters. Um he's from Boston. Um sounds a little bit like Mayor Quimby. uh but he's a good dude i i met him a couple times and he's the only high ranking official from the IAFF that ever approached me um when i was was lobbying in washington and i always appreciated that you know he gave me his card told me to call him any day any all day all night he was there to back me up uh and i always appreciated that and that that stuck with me i think he was what was he the treasurer or recording secretary yeah something? he was he was um general secretary treasurer of the IAFF and right. and he he discovered the uh that that um Harold Shaperger was taking a pension for 20 years from the IAFF while working in the IAFF for 20 years right double dipping as we call it there you go yeah mm-hmm. <sighs> all right so I think we're starting to see who the bad actors have been uh all these years and it sounds a bit familiar to me. Um seems like the same people. Um why do you think that is that firefighters 
took so long. Like this is what I I, I always struggled with this with with the nine eleven issues is why did firefighters take so long to to get on board? You know, when you have somebody in there for twenty years who seems to be acting not in the best interest of the members, what what? I can tell you why, Rob. Because let's hear it because I I can't figure it out. <laughs> it's, it's called the shunning. You. You can't speak out against your union, your union leadership. You just can't. And my husband was retired and we spoke out and we paid a very heavy price for speaking out. We were, I received a call from the, my husband's own union, the Professional Firefighters of Massachusetts, Rich McKinnon called me after a blog was posted about me and I, and I reposted it. And he said, we'll have nothing more to do with you. You posted that blog and I'm very disappointed in you. And I said, well, you know that your Harold Schaefberger has done nothing to work with us or to move this issue forward. So I didn't play the rules by the rules of the union. As an outsider, I had my own rules. And because I was outspoken, my husband's um, members of his own union and throughout Massachusetts were told not to associate with us. And it hit home when Paul and I went before the Massachusetts state legislation in September of 2019 to give a testimony for the removal of PFAS from turnout gear, a bill that we worked hand in hand with the PFFM on, a bill that I provided quite a lot of background information on because I'd become not knowledgeable, but I knew where the facts were that I could send to legislators and to, to you know, allies that wanted help with this issue. When Paul and I arrived at the Boston State House, Paul, uh, Paul went to park the Jeep at a fire station. He left me off in front of the state in front of the state house, and I was carrying the turnout gear because I was going to give a testimony for my ally Jim Hawkins, who wrote our who wrote our bill to remove PFAS from gear to make it the strongest in the nation. And um, upon entering the the um, the state house. Uh, I met my good friend Paul Jack, who greeted me and said, "Oh, Diane, you're here." And I said, "Yes. Well, we weren't invited, but we're here nonetheless." And we rode the elevator together. And Paul then excused himself because he had a phone call to meet to make. And I then met Jim Hawkins in the vestibule of the state room. He told me what to expect, and he was happy to see me. And you know who the opposition was that would be there. And I opened the door to the to the room, and standing in front of me, 20, 20 feet in front of me, was. Uh, Rich McKinnon, the president of the PFFM, Commissioner Joe Finn, um, the secretary, I forget his name, and the legislative agent for the Boston Firefighters Union. And um, everyone stared and 
and Mitch McKinnon and I locked eyes like two, two dinosaurs, I'll say. And neither one of us acknowledged the other with a smile. No one acknowledged me at all. I went to the front of the room and sat alone in a bench by myself till my husband came. And I was so very glad he didn't see that welcome that I had received. We gave our testimony. After the testimony, everybody left. And on the ride home, I received a call from my ally who said, how did it go? I said, it went great. You should have heard how the senators grilled the floral council rep who said that it's uh, PFAS is so great that we use it in your turnout gear. And they asked her, how, did you ever hear about West Virginia? You really don't believe what you're telling us, do you? And I wanted to crawl under the floor for her. I was so embarrassed for her. I said, but no one acknowledged Paul or, Ma, or me. And my ally became wildly upset. And he said, we were all told to stay away from you. We were told not to have anything to do with you. And he said, I told them, I was working with you. You've been screaming for our help for three years. So that's how your union worked under Shapeberger. Mm -hmm. And that's why um, when people went to ask, uh, are the Carters crazy? Is this true? I believe they were told, well, we're still waiting on information. We're still waiting on more studies. And we have the exponent study by Lion Gear. Now you have a new president. And his stance is extremely different. Like he said during his uh, speech with Environmental Working Group, it defies logic. The gear that's meant to protect us may likely be killing us. Yeah. And, and, and just so people know, it, it's not only firefighters gear that these chemicals are in. It's also military gear in firefighting foam. Um, there you go. And, and everyday products as it is. So, so you, you multiply that by however much more they put in our gear, right? More so than the shirt I'm wearing. Ooh, it's got to be. Uh, that's the, Rob, the thing that, that Dr. Peasley found out now, picture this, is that your 10-year-old gear still has enough PFAS to meet NFPA standards. So what that says to me as a layperson is our firefighters have been pawns of a horrific game because what a place to hide these chemicals if you're DuPont because you firefighters all get cancer, but you've been told all your cancers are from products of combustion or toxic smoke. Right. You know, and especially in the last 50 years with the with all the plastics that are in fires now, you know, they burn much hotter. They but you know, so it's an easy uh, an easy way out. But as I alluded to earlier, these cancers aren't just happening in New York and Boston and Chicago and and the places that Detroit that do are doing all the work. It's happening in, you know, small volunteer companies that don't really do see much fire duty. So what's the common denominator here? It's, it's the gear. Um, and as I, I mentioned last week, I don't understand why everyone is still wearing this gear for non-emergency use. Um, it makes my blood boil. I can imagine when you, I just saw it yesterday uh, when they had the tunnel to towers run. Um, and I saw 
thousands of people running in firefighter gear and it just it breaks my heart and it, it makes me scream at the television like what the fuck are you doing right, aren't right. you listening well i, right. I, I you know it, it it's the ironic part is we're right run, they're running for the people like me that got sick from 9-11. Right. And it's just, it's, it's mind boggling. Um, and we see that and we're so sensitive to that because the, the message is so powerful that it sends that you're running in this badass gear that looks so amazing. And for years, it was the greatest visual that you could ever imagine the stair climbs, all of it. But even Bobby Halton said, don't wear it unless you're at a fire. Right. And, you know, we have to be careful even without the, the baby pictures and the kids. And, you know, I and, and, you know, I love seeing firefighters in the grocery store wearing their bunker pants. I love it. It's the greatest thing ever. You know, but in my mind, I'm thinking you're touching your pants and these measurable amounts of this known carcinogen is coming right off on your hands and you're going to eat a sandwich. And also it's like wearing a snowsuit, right? So you're warm, your body's sweating, your pores are, your pores are wide open, especially in the areas that you discuss, you're growing. Yeah. Yeah. It, I know. It's so frustrating. And, you know, we all of our allies are saying, please don't wear it. But this is why. I go back to we are owed an investigation into this issue on the scale of the 9-11 commission. But, you know, Rob, our congressionals, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want because we're asking for who knew what and when did they know it, which which is not just DuPont and 3M and Lion Gear. It's the IAFF and it's the NFPA. But if you're a con- congressman, congresswoman, or a senator, it's a nice sound bite for you to get up and shake your finger at DuPont and 3M. Yeah. But you'll be goddamned if you're going to call out the IAFF. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it because you want that um, union leadership with you when you run again. You want the body of the IAFF to sign on to your legislation. And for the past 20 years, while Schaefberger was at the helm, he was very well known and respected and admired in D.C. Nobody would touch the IAFF. I have a 100 requests in for congressional hearings. I'm probably being, you know, a conservative there. None of my legislators will touch the IAFF. None of them. Uh, it doesn't surprise me. And, and the, you know, they, they don't want to miss out on their opportunity for their photo ops, um, especially right. in September and, uh, and November, which seems to be when politicians care about firefighters, right? The, those Correct. Two, those two specific times a year, people could figure out why. Um, I just wanted to go back because when you said the shunning, uh, it just it, it says something off of me because that seems to be like their number one defense, right? Is 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 they paint you out if if you speak up or or, or you call out a, a politician, their their main defense is to call you crazy or to say. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're a criminal. Like I'm James Zadroga himself. The the 9-11 bill is named after James Zadroga. And if people would look up his story, it's it's absolutely sickening the way Detective Zadroga was treated. Um, it all started because he was trying to get his pain meds covered. He was uh, suffering from stage four cancer, which we now know was caused by his his time spent at Ground Zero. And all he wanted was, his, like, you know, cancer is expensive. You know, all these drills and, and all, all these pills and, and chemo treatments and nobody wanted to pay for it. You know, they're saying it's not service connected, even though the EPA had already admitted what they admitted. And we all knew about the 160 toxins in the air and 400 tons of asbestos. We knew why he had cancer, but but the city's stance was to paint him out to be a drug addict. And I believe Mayor Bloomberg said, we're not going to pay for drug addicts drugs. And it was on the cover of the news. Right. And so then once they acknowledged that he wasn't a drug addict and, you know, he was right. It was on page 47 in a small column. You know, the retraction was was nowhere near what he deserved. Um, which is what he suffered, what he suffered, uh, you know, in his dying days. Um, Fortunately, you know, a lot of people made sure that his legacy was was restored. And his daughter now knows that her father was a hero and not, in fact, a drug addict who just wanted some quality of life. Um, So that's that's what Diane's talking about. That's the stuff that happens. You know, you're fortunate that your husband was retired. But had he been active, I'm sure he would have been lifted out of his spot. He would have been transferred to the, you know, the last firehouse he probably wanted to go to, or maybe even put on administrative duty, or they would have done everything to force him to want to retire, right? That because that's that's what they do, um, and they 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 in turn turn the the members against you by making it seem like uh, you know you're a shit stirrer, or you you know you're just looking mm-hmm. to get to get yours, um, which is what I I found in the beginning before you know I, I got sick early on in this whole thing and. It was hard. You know, even people who knew me thought that I was I was full of shit or making it up because we weren't seeing that. You know, now we're at the point where every firehouse has 20, 30 guys suffering from 9-11 illnesses. So it's not even right. a question. But back then it was, you know, what is this guy up to? You know, and and, and that's what they do. And that's how they get away with it. You're right. Um, so you're right, Robin. They 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 asked me a mentor, <laughs> a mentor called me one day and said, um, there's been a discussion and the union will will accommodate you if you remove your derogatory posts about the union (laughs) and if you apologize to the union. And my mentor said, I doubt she's going to do that. And I said, she's not going to do that. No. No, no. You're, you're the one who's owed the apology. Uh, all right. Well, another question I wanted to ask you, because I know I know this is a long episode and I thank everyone for listening, but I don't think there's a more important topic uh, when discussing firefighters today. Um, but this is a personal question because uh, I, I'm suffering a lot of autoimmune issues from 9-11. Um, so are, are you guys finding any of that and specifically in women? Um, in your studies, because I know with the 9-11 issues, the women are even non-first responders are suffering a lot of those issues um, and it's not getting a lot of coverage. So the autoimmune um, issues, I'm not wildly familiar with, but I can tell you um, 
what we do know about these PFAS chemicals is they change everything. They bind to your blood. They pass the the brain blood barrier. They circulate again and again and again in your system. So if there's something that can be changed in you, these PFAS chemicals will try to do that and they never leave your system. Um, the, the reproductive cancers we're very concerned about, the brain cancers, uh, all, I'm, I'm not wildly familiar, Rob, with the autoimmune effects of PFAS. I wish I could tell you I knew more about that, but I don't. If you give me some examples of autoimmune um, diseases, I can tell you if I know about them specifically. Oh, Parkinson's, diabetes, um... I know we're seeing a lot of ALS now, uh, yes. dementia, oh, accelerated yes. rates of dementia and, and Alzheimer's. So, so the Parkinson's, there's been some links affiliated with PFAS and and the um, Parkinson's. ALS, the links are there affiliated. Um, in the diabetes, well, cholesterol is a a very big, that was one of the, high cholesterol was also one of the findings of the C8 science panel that Rob Balat put together. Mm -hmm. So it reaches far past cancer, to be quite honest. Celiac is a big one too. I I know a lot of firefighters who have digestive issues. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, cutting out gluten made a huge difference and I didn't have that my whole life, you know. I wow. I could eat yeah. pizza and, and drink beer my whole life, and then all of a sudden <laughs> I couldn't anymore. Yeah, so. ulcer, ulcer, ulcerative colitis is yeah. one of the findings of the C8 science panel as well. So we really need a um, a repository for all of this information. But you've got great organizations. Um, that are working on this. Now you've got the San Francisco Firefighter Cancer Prevention Foundation is doing many studies. The IAFF is about to announce um, the results of the studies that they've done with Jennifer Field from University of Oregon that Graham Peasley was involved in. Uh, Last Call Foundation is working on firefighter studies on this. University of Arizona and uh, Graham Peasley and I um, worked with Senator Jean Shaheen for the National Institute of Science and Technology Studies, and she's um, provided over a million dollars for studies on your turnout year, and it's a three-year project. So you're going to see you're going to see that, and our friends at Nantucket PFAS Action Group are doing a whole comprehensive study on all of their firefighters and PFAS, and you can watch for those results over the coming years as well. Awesome. Uh, are there any other? Do we have any other allies in Congress? Um, we do. We have many allies in Congress on writing forward-looking legislation. Right. Everybody's happy to do that. We have Senator Shaheen, and it's and it's bipartisan. And the allies that I work closest with are Senator Shaheen, Senator Hassan, Jim McGovern, Dean Kildee, Brian Fitzpatrick, um, Debbie Dingle. There's there's so many on both sides, so I'm remiss to to leave out names. But again, give us give us what we are owed, and give us the investigation into who knew what and when they knew it. 
Right. So what can what can my listeners do to encourage those members of Congress to maybe have the intestinal fortitude to do more than uh, more than just write a little piece of forwarding information? Like what, what how can they push them across the line? Follow us on social media, on social media. So on on our um, my name is your turnout gear. That's on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page, your turnout gear and PFOA. Um, we have a website, your turnout gear and PFOA.com. And what we'll do there is provide the launching pad for you to get involved. And we had a, um, we actually had a petition signed by over 10,000 names for an investigation. And we handed it to our congressionals and it went nowhere. So that says a lot. So and I, yeah, let, let, let's but get it to 100,000 then. Let's Yeah, let, we let's need 100,000 and we do need the help of the names um, like Ed Kelly. Yeah. I think we'll get us there for these hearings. And we we are working behind the scenes on on some aspects that we're not able to tell you about right now. But, um, you know, I think that people should look at um, suing these corporations as well. And, you know, if, you, if you've been harmed by the chemicals and you have that chemical in your blood, um, you should speak with an attorney in in New York. We worked for two years, we worked with um, Keith Sullivan um, of Sullivan and Galishaw, and we we now know that Pritzker and Levine in California has announced a lawsuit in California. And recently on Fire Engineering, they announced that there were lawsuits forming in Massachusetts and New York. So you want to watch these when we whenever we have news. We post it on our websites and our allies cross post it. So follow us on social media and it's a pretty active scene. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you. I know that's a lot of information for, for everyone to take in. Um, that's kind of the cliff notes of what's happening. But the bottom line is, once again, um, there's some shady stuff going on and it's our firefighters holding the bag. Um, right. which seems to be a, a, a theme uh, in this show uh, and my life. Right. But uh, please follow Diane, um, start contacting your members of Congress. Um, you've all been so supportive of us uh, over the last uh, 20 years, and we need your help. Um, and as Diane said, if you're a firefighter, please stop wearing your gear unless you absolutely have to. Um, you know. Even if you don't know, even if you can't read uh, Graham Peasley's study and understand what he's saying, that's the bottom line, right? Just protect yourself um, and each other. So spread that word. Follow us. I'm going to share Diane's um, The Real Cancer in Your Gear later today. So follow me at Sarah Rob. Um, thank you to Diane for coming on. I, I believe she is a carrier of the light. And sometimes that's not enough, right? Sometimes we need to shine that light where it belongs um and right. she's she's a badass and she's doing awesome shit and you know we're lucky to have you um so thank you
Beyond humbled, Rob. We're so grateful for everything that your organization has done. And we've just been the strongest supporters of the Ray Pfeiffer organization forever. So it was wonderful to connect with you when you and I connected over a year ago on this issue. So I'm so, so grateful for your work. Ah, well, thank you. And I'm here. Whatever you need from me, you know how to get in touch with me. Yeah. You know, if you want me to come and uh, shame some politicians with you. Um, we do. My, <laughs> As a matter of fact. <laughs> all right. Well, that's my favorite pastime. So love it. Let's I'm in. do it. Hit Thank you, Rob. All right. Thanks, Diane. Hey, guys, it's Frankie, and welcome back to Frankie's Firehouse Feast. Today's recipe is from Diane DiBenedetto Cotter, and the recipe is called Philomena Savino's DiBenedetto's Lasagna. Philomena came to America in 1910 from Salerno, it's Italy, and settled in New Haven, Connecticut, where she married Vincenzo DiBenedetto and raised four sons and three daughters. This lasagna was taught to my Irish mother by her Italian mother-in-law, who spoke no English, in her kitchen in New Haven. It is a labor of love as you'll be making a couple hundred gumball-sized meatballs. For the sauce, in a large oval crock pot on low, add four cans crushed tomatoes, two cans tomato sauce, no cheap stuff, add one tablespoon of minced garlic, one tablespoon of Italian seasoning, oregano slash parsley slash basil, three tablespoon minced onion, one cup parmesan slash romano grated cheese mix, salt, pepper to taste, cover the crock pot, let seasonings and cheeses sit on top of sauce on low for an hour before stirring and preheat the oven to 350 degrees. For the sausage, place six hot Italian sausage in shallow baking pan coated with generous amount of virgin olive oil. Coat each sausage with granulated garlic, 10 minutes on each side. Place aside in large bowl to cool. Transfer all pan drippings into sauce mixture and sauce. When cooled, slice sausages thin for layering in lasagna. Now for the meatballs. Mix one pound 85 slash 15 hamburg, one pound veal, and one pound ground pork. Four or five eggs, one cup Italian breadcrumbs, one cup grated cheese. Now for the Italian seasonings. Take one teaspoon each. Oregano, basil, and parsley. One teaspoon granulated garlic. Mix and knead till well mixed. You're going to be making a couple hundred tiny meatballs the size of a gumbo. I grab a handful of mixture and roll a few at a time on the palm of my hand. Drop on baking sheet with coated olive oil. You'll need large three baking sheets. Meatballs can be close together as they will move easily on the sheet after the initial six minute roast. Place meatballs in the oven for 6 minutes at 350, turn, and cook another 6 minutes. Add meatballs to the sauces and mix gently. 
All your meats will be layered as one. Sauce should be simmered for about four hours before assembling the lasagna. Once it's in the lasagna pan, coat the pan with vegetable spray, layers, sauce, pasta, regolfa scoops, and press out over pasta. Cover regolfa with meats, mozzarella, sauce, pasta, regolfa, meats, mozzarella, sauce. Pasta, regolfa, meats, mozzarella, sauce. Top. Basket weave your pasta, sauce, mozzarella. For baking, cover with aluminum foil. Bake 45 minutes. Take off aluminum foil, cover, and bake another 15 to 30 minutes till knife inserted in center comes out steaming hot. If you plan to eat the same day you make, Leave an hour for the lasagna to set, or you get a melted hard-to-serve dish. I cover with aluminum foil and freeze, thaw, and heat at 350 for an hour or till bubbling. Then still has to sit for 30 to 45, then serve it. Manja! Grazie, Francesca, Diane, Filomena, for that delicious-sounding lasagna. Diane, you are now on the hook. Next time I'm in Boston, goes without saying, you're cooking me lasagna. I know we brought you a lot of information this week, and it's a lot to digest, but it's important. You know, like I think of days like September 22nd, 2014, when the FDNY lost firefighter Dan Hegland, Lieutenant Howard Bischoff, and firefighter Robert Lever, all to 9-11 cancer within 12 hours of each other. Uh, this, this epidemic, as it were, is not going away. Firefighters are dying from cancer seemingly every day all over the country, all over the world, and it's something we need to address. We need to get to the bottom of this now. So thanks for listening. Please, please join our fight. We need all the help we can get, much like with 9-11 legislation. Uh, we need your support. So please follow Diane, follow me, uh, and let's do this together. If you haven't yet subscribed, go to thefirefighters.us or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave us five stars. If you'd like to join the squad, go to patreon.com slash thefirefighterspodcast. Today's senior man tip comes from my personal hero and mentor, Firefighter Ray Pfeiffer. Do the right thing, even when nobody's looking. And that's all, folks. Take care of each other. Love each other, hold each other down, hold each other's hands, but as always, stay low, my friends.